1: FOREVER! Dog. Hey everybody, I am Gabe Gonzalez. Welcome back. You're listening to the QWERTY Podcast. This is a weekly show from QWERTY and Forever Dog, truly a blessed union, where I will be your host. And I'll be journeying with you as we muddle through news politics and pop culture that is impacting the LGBTQ community right now. And I'm also going to invite a guest and we're going to just hang out a little bit. We're going to reflect on the week and we're going to keep it cute. That's all we're doing. That's all we need to do. This week, we will be covering uh, a few headlines from QWERTY, including how Florida Republicans are choosing to kick off Pride Month, why one politician in Mexico might have lied about being bisexual, and one story with an appropriately explosive ending. Plus, we've got an incredible guest today. You may recognize him from a show on Nickelodeon right now called Danger Force, or a tweet from Nickelodeon Last Pride, where he appeared between SpongeBob and Avatar Cora. He is an actor, he's a writer, and a director doing some amazing work to change the TV landscape for the better, and we'll be talking to him about it later this episode, Michael D. Cohen is here. Uh, But before we get to talk to him, we got to get through those headlines in a quick little roundup of my favorite QWERTY stories from the week we like to call Catch Her Up. We're keeping up with the news uh, at a brisk pace. We are keeping a pace with these headlines. So here's our first one of the week. Florida kicks off Pride Month by being terrible to trans kids. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, unfortunately the governor of my home state, signed a bill to ban transgender youth, especially young women, from playing school sports this week, uh, the first day of LGBTQ Pride Month, June 1st. Florida is the eighth state this year to ban girls and women in public high schools and colleges from participating on girls and women's teams if they're trans. Politicians in the state spoke out against this, including Florida State Rep Carlos Smith, who says the new law fuels transphobia and puts vulnerable kids at risk for no good reason. The human rights campaign, thankfully, has already announced they intend to sue the state over the law and Lambda Legal promised they'd be joining with partners like the ACLU to do everything in their power to protect trans kids in the state. It should go without saying uh, people in Florida have been playing sports in public schools and colleges for years without incident until Republicans decided this was going to be an issue they would use this year to pander to bigots. Uh, More on that a little later. Our second headline, a city council candidate lied about his sexuality to help him get elected. Uh, the man who was running for uh, the equivalent to a city council position in the city of Tijuana claimed he was bisexual and even registered as a candidate representing the LGBTQ community with election officials. But according to an LGBTQ activist named Teresita Diaz Estrada, who is now suing the candidate, he lied. Uh, Diaz claims the candidate was stealing spots that rightfully belonged to queer and trans candidates. That's because Mexico's National Electoral Institute actually requires political parties to include indigenous, disabled, and LGBTQ people among other candidates in each Mexican state. Real monkey's paw situation here, right? Because LGBTQ rights are coming so far, but uh, maybe a step too far if candidates are now lying about being bisexual instead of denying they are for the sake of getting votes. Activists do say that this candidate isn't the only one, and they say that 18 candidates claiming to represent marginalized communities in the Mexican state of Baja California could be lying about it to give the impression of diverse slates under certain party tickets. That's potentially a higher ratio of straight men pretending to be queer than the staff at a West Hollywood gay bar. So truly some impressive numbers there. All right, let's move on to our third story of the week. Bullies harassed a family flying their pride flag, and then their boat exploded. Finally, a feel-good story this week. The Twitter user who posted the video of the incident wrote, quote, These people harassed my family because we were flying gay pride flags, racing around us, and shouting gay slurs. Then their boat literally blew up, end quote. The people being targeted even rest skewed their harassers from the water after the incident because again their boat exploded and caught fire after they were being horrible people. So if we've learned anything from this story, I hope it's that Ron DeSantis should sign more legislation on a boat. That's what we're getting from that, right? Okay, great. So those are your three Queerty headlines of the week that I have handpicked for you. You can read more about them on Queerty.com. But now it is time to bring on our next guest. You have likely seen him on shows like Modern Family, The Real O'Neills, Two Broke Girls, The Mindy Project, and on the documentary Disclosure. He currently stars as Schwaz in Nickelodeon's Danger Force and directed as well as co-wrote a very special episode of the show airing this month. We'll be talking about a little later in the episode. I am very excited to welcome to the Queerty podcast, Mike d cohen how you doing
0: hey i'm doing great thanks for having me this is fun
1: absolutely for sure where are you joining us from today i'm in la beautiful the magic of zoom
0: yes where are you
1: yeah i'm in new york right now fully what? opposite opposite, opposite coasts, coast. but we're, yeah we're All making right. it through <laughs> thanks for joining us so er- or earlier in your day I'm sure it's not that.
0: <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's one fifteen. Yeah. Just getting out of, rolling out of bed here. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. right? You know, that as West Coasters. Yeah. It depends
1: yeah, yeah. on the kind of day you had exactly. before, for sure.
0: <laughs> or the night before. Yeah.
1: Honestly, <laughs> fair,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, man. So you've
0: been out here. Um, You've been working
1: on the show Danger Force for a while now. And I do want to talk about this initiative you started and sort of this episode. But I want to backtrack a little bit and talk to you about how you kind of got your start. I was reading up a, a little bit about your earlier days acting. And I got the impression you were kind of a comedian at heart. You mentioned you were inspired by Carol Burnett. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, did you sort of get your start in comedy first and then be like, all right, stand up, won't pay the bills. Let me figure out acting. Were you an actor who found they were comedic? What was that kind of like finding your footing in in that, I don't know, sort of performance area like?
0: Well, I, you know, I tried stand up, but I never was a stand up. I was married to a stand-up for a while.
1: <laughs> um, I'm so sorry, my apologies. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
0: You know, it was like, I was like, oh, I'm not sure this is the right world for me. I've always been more of, I guess, more into the acting side of comedy mm-hmm. as opposed to the story, you know, like the, the solo standing on stage trying to make people laugh. That's, to me, that's terrifying. Um, <laughs> and I just really love comedic stories and, you know, fictional kind of stuff and, and sitcoms, that, that kind of thing has always been my thing. And yeah, I grew up watching Carol Bernstein Internet and that the inspiration of that was so powerful for me, you know, like I just, I just watched her and her ensemble of incredibly gifted actors and was mm. like, that's what I want to do. It just, it spoke to me. And I mean, I, and I do drama as well. I can, I can act in drama, but I, and, and, and I teach acting and I'll, you know, I'll teach both comedy and drama. But what I say to my students is when you perform comedy, it's, you need to know everything that you need for drama mm-hmm. plus Plus. So it's like you okay, you, you can do drama great, but then on top of it, with comedy, you gotta understand timing. You have to understand the pacing. You have to understand the, the the genre has a different tone to it. It's like drama is kind of like improvisational jazz if you're a musician. Whereas, you know, comedy is like you have to stick to the script. You've got to, it's a composition. It's just like a Bach, you know, what it, I was gonna say a fugue. He doesn't write fugues, but you know, that kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> It's, it's like, it's a composition. So you have to stick mm-hmm. to the timing of it. So it's, it's just this other thing. And I really love, I just love it. It's, it, you feel it in your bones. You feel the rhythm, you feel, you just feel it like you would if you were doing a dance you know, yeah. or choreography. And, and that's what I, I just love about it. So yeah, it's always been, it's always been something I've gravitated to.
1: And I like that metaphor of sort of playing an instrument and, and like improvising collectively. Yep. It's funny, I, you know, I come from an improv background myself and and that was always fun in college. And, you know, you get to the city and people are like, all right, you got to do stand up to make it in. And I was like, this feels so lonely. It's like a saxophone yeah. solo when I could yeah. have so many more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's, it, it is, there's a musicality to it. Definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I love the, the collaborative nature of being in an ensemble and, and, you're bouncing off other actors, you know, it's it's just, it's just one of the joys of, of being an actor is, you know, your fellow actors.
1: What was the first gig that I think you found where you were like, all right, this is the magic I was looking for, right? Here's this, this rhythm and this back and forth.
0: Oh gosh, there's been a lot. I mean, you know, I was working as an actor in Toronto before I transitioned. So back, you know, a while ago, I just had so many great opportunities there working on different shows in Canada. But I think, you know, when I came out here, the, the more, the bigger the role, the more I got to play, right? I had a great time working with Vanessa Hudgens on Powerless. Oh, cool. Yeah. It was a guest star. I played this, you know, really kind of douchey PR guy, or yeah, HR <laughs> guy. This is HR guy that was like really neat. I just loved it. The The director, the AD, who was a friend of mine, just coincidentally, um, Vanessa Hudgens is amazing. You know, for the rest of her ensemble, that was that amazing feeling to come on as a guest star and be able to hit mm. the ground running and have all that support and camaraderie and collaboration. I was like, okay, I, I love this. I love this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and, and I do want to um, talk a little bit about sort of your career in the US as well, because I think you've been on Nickelodeon for quite a few years now, but you didn't come out publicly about your transition until 2019. And I'd love to ask you a bit more about that if I could. Yeah, I read this quote that I thought kind of articulated the way you view your identity in, in a way I hadn't seen before. And I, I thought was just so clear and, and very lovely. You talked about sort of having mixed feelings about using the label trans to describe yourself, because mm-hmm. you said, "I'm I'm a man and I can mm-hmm. say I've had a trans experience. My story is trans and I'm proud of that, but I identify as a man. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and sort of choosing to disclose that journey publicly in 2019, well into your career.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. It's, it's a good question. I guess, you know, I, I would have disclosed it earlier if it felt right or if there was an opportunity to do it. There just really it made no sense. There was no, it would have seemed weird. You know, like, why is he telling us this? Why do we need to know this? And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I had been writing this solo show that every year I thought I would do since I started. I, the idea came for it in like 2003. And then I just kept writing it and kept on drafts after draft after draft. And I thought this will be the year. This will be the year. And so I, I would have disclosed it much earlier, but it just the play wasn't ready. And then there was no reason to really. And I was, you know, if there was if there was a role for a trans character that I felt like, oh, yeah, I can play or I wanted to play. I would I would audition for it. I never got them other than one. There was one one character I got in Canada. But, you know, it, it was it was just. Uh, it it wasn't like I was living stealth or secret. It just, Mm -hmm. there wasn't, it just made no sense. Like, why am I making a big deal out of something that shouldn't be a big deal in a sense, but it kind of is a big deal, but it would be a bigger deal to do it this way because it'd be weird. And like, you know, and I kept on talking, like I would talk to different publicists going, hey, I'm doing this project. Do you think I should disclose? And they're like, no, that would be weird.
1: And so I was like, okay, (laughs) Don't talk about yourself. That's strange. Yeah. (laughs) But
0: no, it would be, it would would seem like I was like exploiting. The situation to mm-hmm. get more publicity, or I don't know what it would look like, but it was it just didn't it just felt kind of weird to me, and I want it to be organic and in a way that would be supportive, not just for myself, but for other people. You know that other people who've had the same experience as me would go, "Oh, that's supportive and helpful." Thank you for sharing that. As opposed to, "Oh, that was weird. Why do you share it that way?" So I wanted to to be thoughtful about it, and so I was gonna do, I was gonna do this solo show. I'd finally I'd done a, a staged reading of it, and I told a lot of the people I was working on Henry danger at the time i started mm-hmm. on henry danger in 2014 so that and this was before caitlin this was like people didn't you know and, and I'm, I'm using caitlin as a reference only and because that was a bit of a, a turning point true yeah and it was still like people just still deny this was not mainstream this nobody really knew anything about trans stuff it was just not like it is now. And so I I just, the timing wasn't right. But then I did the stage reading in 2018 of my play. And I basically told everybody you know that I worked with at Henry Danger about it. And so I was obviously had disclosed to them. And that was that we, they were so supportive. And, and it was like about 20 or 25 people from the show that came out to see the stage reading. And they were all so supportive. And it was, that was a bit of a turning point for me. And, and we were planning on doing the play not too long after that. And then, you know, it kind of occurred to me that and and to my, my, my manager at the time was like, I don't know if, if we should wait for the play because Trump was in and a lot of anti-trans yeah. stuff was happening. And I couldn't really share my voice in it because I hadn't publicly disclosed. And it would be kind of odd to just get on the bandwagon and not <laughs> make some, you know, say something, you know, so like okay how i think we have we can't wait for the play because if i wait for the play then it's also like why am i waiting for the play like i want to talk now about this yeah. i need to say something now about this and i'm i'm doing this now so that i can have a voice and be supportive to this community that i am a part of and that made sense to me so that's how the 2019 disclosure occurred. Then it was just about, okay, how and who and, you know, where. And so luckily time was uh, the place and Katie Steinmetz was the, the journalist, you know, she was amazing. She was the one that did the, the transgender tipping point in 2014. So she, I knew she already had really good insight. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how that came to be, you know, and, and it was interesting because I didn't know what the response would be, but it was overwhelmingly positive.
1: That's fantastic. And, you know, also, I think, I guess I wonder if in the back of your mind, having, you know, you've worked in so many mediums, like you said, drama, comedy on a variety of shows, the longest role that you've had has been on this Nickelodeon show and Mm -hmm. their audience is is younger, right? It's it's, excuse quite young. And so I am wondering if in the back of your head, you know, like, I don't know, I feel like bigots and conservatives in this country spent years trying to pathologize LGBTQ people and imply that like, it's unsafe for children to be exposed (laughs) to real people. You know what I mean? I'm wondering if, if in the back of your head, that was also something that was really kind of maybe adding pressure to what is already kind of something that you shouldn't have to feel pressure about, but do?
0: Um, nah. I mean, I knew it would be out there. Mm-hmm. But really, what's in the forefront of my mind all the time about this is, if I only had this when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I'm doing it. It's, it's, it, and it's like, you know, back to what you were saying about, and I completely skipped over that part of the question, but it's like, not on purpose, but I, I'll get <laughs> to it now just because, because yeah, I'm blabbing about all this other stuff. But I mean, <laughs> in terms of my ambivalence around the word trans, I wouldn't even say ambivalence. It's really more of like, I don't like the word because I feel it puts emphasis on the wrong aspect of, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, my own experience. You know, a lot of people think about the body. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm a man. I've always been male, always from the moment I was born, you know, and prior, probably earlier, I was a guy. I just, I just know that about myself. And it's, it's the truth, the way that we can experience truth, the way we know gravity, you know, like Mm -hmm. it just is there. And I knew that. And so if I'm to say, Uh, something other than I'm a man, it feels like I'm taking on another label. Like my whole life I've had to take on labels that were put on me that didn't make sense to me or that I didn't, that didn't fit. And I don't want to do that. I'm never going to do that to myself. Mm. You know, someone else, I mean, I can't stop people from saying, oh, he's trans. I can't stop them from saying that. I prefer that they say of trans experience because that is absolutely true about me. I have a trans experience and I'm proud of that. And I feel like the insights and the, the, the perspective that I have on life, on gender, on everything to do with, you know, living as a human, a lot of it comes through no. that lens. And so it's important, you know, but my identity, who I am, is male, not trans. And there's other people who feel really differently. Other people Mm -hmm. feel like, no, who I am is trans. I'm like, great, good. I'm almost envious because it'd be a lot easier to say that word than say of trans experience. (laughs) It's a mouthful. So I I, I respect it and I totally see it as an absolutely valid identity. It's just not mine. It's not comfortable to me to to say that about myself. I, I transitioned from a female persona to a male, full male identity in the world in the way I show up. I didn't transition from female to trans. And so that's important to me. I, th- I think there's a lot of people that feel the same way, but have to take on trans as a default because it's easier. And maybe they don't mind as much as I do to to take on, you know, and, and that's good. That's you know, it's, it's great. I, I'm I'm picky about words.
1: But that's the thing you should be allowed to be, right? Like no community's experience is going to be monolithic. And I, you know, I think you're right. I think especially the LGBTQ community, queer and trans folks under this big, big old umbrella, sometimes, you know, have to, I, I guess, maybe soften or simplify aspects of their own journey for people outside the community to sort Yeah, yeah. make it palatable. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and I I don't want to try and make it palatable for anybody. I want to tell the truth. Totally. My truth, not talking about anybody else's truth, talking about mine. And that's my truth. What's beautiful about this is that there's room for it. When we talk about languaging around trans experience, there's such a continuum. And Mm. I happen to fall into the binary. You know, I. I feel comfortable and fit into binary male. That's that's my experience. There's a lot of people that are not binary in there. And, and all along that continuum can be trans and non-binary or whatever. And it can go, there's just so much diversity in that. And I think one of the problems with the idea of labeling people trans and cis is it mm. becomes a way too much emphasis on the body. That's a medical issue. It's something that, I, that only really is relevant between me. And my doctor, and you know, oftentimes the person that you're sleeping with. (laughs) But that is it. That's it. It's like, why is my body of any concern to anybody else? So the trans and cis, I feel is so focused on how you were born, Mm. what your genitalia were at birth. Mm. And I think we need to get away from that and go, yes, I'm a guy, whether you're, whether you're born trans or cis or whatever, that is not as relevant. And when you start talking about experience, then we can kind of get into some nuance about what, what it's like and the privilege of being born in a body that aligns with your identity. You know, we can talk about those things. We can talk about, you know, what's what it's like to be perceived as the gender that you're not for a good part of your life. And then there's nuance within that because, you know, I was perceived as a very butch female. That's a different experience than someone who's being perceived as a very feminine female or somewhere in between. Like we're gonna have different experiences, how we're being treated. Mm. There's just a lot of nuance that gets looked over, and that we just lump it into these general categories of trans and cis and it drives me nuts. Okay. no, of course. Well, because yeah, that's the thing. Everybody wants it
1: one way or the other, right? Well, what are yeah. these binaries? How can I split this in half? Like, let me let me understand. And it's like, hey, nobody's experience is this simple, right? You're never gonna yeah. be able to cleanly categorize humans. Yeah, like
0: the, the only only thing that's binary is reproduction
1: there you go yep yeah and that's and i've said
0: that before like the only that but that why people get so hung up on this is because they're hung up on reproduction yes and that's the only thing that's binary and even that can be somewhat debatable when you talk to Mm -hmm. people who are intersex and can have children or you know it's like okay but let's say a great majority of the time, yes, reproduction is binary. It's very clear scientifically how that happens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that's the and only thing. A, yeah, exactly. That's the only
0: time. That's the only. <laughs> that's the only way that it's actually that clear. You know.
1: That and people's feelings on Friends. I think the Friends reunion has made me realize there is no middle ground. There is no spectrum there. People either love it or hate it. You know what I mean. <laughs> Maybe the only lukewarm person on that front. Equally yeah.
0: as impactful <laughs> as on uh, pop, pop culture. Of course, yeah. right?
1: uh All right, Michael, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I finally want to talk to you about Henry Danger, the spin off Danger Force, and an initiative that you started that I am really excited to ask about. So we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little And we're back on the QWERTY podcast with our guest, Michael D. Cohen. I am your host, Gabe Gonzalez. You may have just heard my voice during this ad break. Maybe you didn't. Regardless, we are back in the show. This is my show voice and we're in the show world. (laughs) I want to talk to you specifically about uh, Danger Force and how that kind of dovetails with an initiative you started to help trans and non-binary youth break into the TV industry. So I guess first I would love to know uh, how did you end up in this world of Henry Danger and Danger Force? And I guess when did this moment that you knew you wanted to sort of write and direct for this show also kind of pop into your brain?
0: I mean, I, I started on Henry Danger back in 2014. Mm-hmm. There's a whole story about how that all that casting happened. It was a very fun process. I had originally auditioned for a different character. And then they were like, hmm, there's this character that we wrote out of the show because we couldn't find mm-hmm. the right Actor for it, but we think you're it, <laughs> and then boom, well, I was there. Thanks to um, Krisha, Alexander and Jamie Jamie Snow, who are the casting directors. They were like, mm-hmm. they were the creative ones, and I was like, thank you.
1: He's such an eccentric character too. I couldn't imagine the show without him. It's just the crazy gadgets and the stuff. Oh, it's like, really, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's he's such a fun character to play, and I love being able to do an accent. You know, mm. just kids are just like, oh, which is your real voice? My, like, oh, this is <laughs> this is my fake voice right now. Yeah, I really talk like Schwaz, um, but I had to get my green card, so I guess I had to. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, whatever they
0: yeah <laughs> you know under the trump administration i had to like yeah. you know i'm american sure <laughs> yeah so i was on on henry danger from the first season until we wrapped the last season was actually kind of two seasons in one uh we did 40 episodes in that and that wrapped wow. and then we did the spinoff we so we've done one season of the spinoff and we're about to go into production on the second season and
1: oh congrats awesome
0: yeah thank you apparently it's the highest rated live action show on nickelodeon now and one of the most popular awesome. so it's great so i think you know, look, I I'd always been really interested in helping trans youth. And I think it was something that at some point hit me and was like, oh, I'm on a kids show. Hmm maybe there's a way of combining these two (laughs) things. You know, I had volunteered at some trans youth summer camps and I had done the Trevor project and worked on their lifeline for a few years. And that, that was, that was life-changing for me. And I just knew that this was a population people that are so dear to my heart. So close to my heart. Like I, I, it's hard for me to not cry when I talk about it because I just, you know, I was that kid, you know, and when I see these kids, I'm like, God, that that was me. And I was so alone. Like there was just no reference points. There was nothing in the media. There was no representation. I could not look on TV and go, oh, there I am, Mm. or that's my experience or anything to help me along. And and so I wanted to find a way to create that. And not just in stories, which is like we, you know, myself and Andrew Thomas co-wrote it along with, it's a collaborative process. So the writing room as well. And our great showrunner, Chris Nowak, who shepherded it along, of course. It, It was not just in creating a character that happened to be trans. It was also the idea that I wanted to make it so that these kids who had the same dreams that I had since I was four years old of being an actor could say, that's possible for me too and thereby showing kids who don't necessarily want to be actors that they can do whatever they want, that Mm -hmm. their trans experience does not have to get in the way of their dreams, that they can realize their dreams no matter what, that this is not an impediment. It's not an obstacle. And I know for myself that I always felt like who I am is not okay. Who I am is going to be a problem. I won't be able to realize my dreams. They were, they were in conflict even into adulthood, but I believed, I always believed that's going to work out. Somehow it's going to work out. Like I just had that belief. So the idea came to me of like, okay, what if I do this acting challenge where we create a context, a forum, a a vehicle for kids Mm. to come forward and get access to Nickelodeon casting directors, get seen by them. I, I didn't make it public at the time that, that we we're going to be doing this episode, That this sort of happened after I had the idea for the acting challenge, but mm. it came into being and I was like, hmm, I want to cast it from the challenge. But I didn't want to tell everybody in the challenge I was going to do that. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, it could be a promise that I might not be able to keep, but I really, I was, I was pretty adamant. Like we had to we had to cast it from the challenge. So, um, which we, we totally lucked out and found Sasha and his twin sister, Natalie. And Nickelodeon came on board as a partner uh, and I pitched it to them. They were like, okay. And the casting team helped get it out there and and we did it and we had over 200 submissions. It was phenomenal. And then we did a webinar for the kids and the families. Mm-hmm. Everybody that submitted came and then we had this masterclass for the finalists. And Sasha was one of those finalists that got cast in the episode.
1: Yeah, that's so incredible. The fact that there were over 200 submissions and just like this one forum reaching out to a community that's been kind of marginalized and underserved, especially in this industry, who have had their stories kind of like told and warped through people who don't know their experience. Like to have that kind of impact is so incredible. Wild to me, right? Because it really just—it took one person to kind of crack open a door a little bit. It took you, right? And you got all these kids being like, "Yes, this is absolutely it." And I think it's—it's it's so incredible that not only did you find Sasha and cast Sasha in this episode, but you are also co-writing it, and directing it, as you said. And it's actually an upcoming episode of Danger Force that one of these kids was cast in, right? Talk to us about the episode as well, because I know it kind of dovetails with some of what you've been talking about thematically.
0: Well, it was—it was really important to me to you know the fact that he had. A transition that it only be relevant because he has something to contribute from it. Totally. That it's just not, he's just not tokenized. Oh, he's going to be, a, mm-hmm. you know, just trans character and that's it. You know, that, mm-hmm. that there's something that this experience lends. And so we, we, they end up, you know, in our typical capers where we have to find the bad guy. He happens to have knowledge that it only as someone who has transitioned would have. And that leads them to discover the bad guy. And then he helps basically take them down. And so his experience, transness that his experience is what. Helps help save the day. Not that he's trans because mm-hmm. he's just a kid, you know, yeah. he's a kid. And so he has something to contribute because of the experience. And, and that's what I wanted to show. And, and, I, and I think we did that successfully. And it's a funny, fun episode of Danger Force with, with you know, and the characters are hilarious and the stunts and the, the special effects are fantastic. It's all the stuff that you'd want from a Danger Force episode, plus this other element that is history making and groundbreaking for, for Nickelodeon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has been written about and we just had a variety piece we were talking about before the show that came out this week. But, you know, Hollywood Reporter and The Advocate have covered it. And it's it's one of these moments where I think it's like, wow, I can't believe this hadn't happened yet. And Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see the sort of ripple effect that this one moment can have and um, how thrilled people are about the coverage. It's just it feels really monumental. Mm -hmm. I think of Nickelodeon as a place for cartoons and we go back and we're like, oh, this this kind of queer metaphor or trans metaphor in the story of this cartoon. And it's beautiful to like now live in an era where a character can live openly in their trans experience, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be this weird constant wordplay or double entendre to obscure the story you're getting at, which is lovely.
0: And I know that I've never, I've not seen this young of a, a person in any multi-cam comedy mm-hmm. or single cam. Even when I think about any comedy, I've not seen any of these kinds of characters in comedy. We haven't, you know, I've had ideas for this many times over the years and gone, oh, nobody's ready for that. Nope, they're not ready for that. They're not ready for that. How am I going to do that? They're going to be looking at me and going, "Eh." now they're ready for it. You know, now we can can do this. We can actually bring the trans experience into comedy in a way that we haven't been able to do it before for kids. So that's really exciting because kids need, that's where it starts. If we can give the message to kids that, hey, who you are is okay. You're accepted, you're cherished. You may not get that all the time from your family and friends, but just know that the mainstream's got your back in Mm -hmm. a certain way. That's huge. That's huge. That's no, major for sure. Yeah.
1: I have one more burning question. Mm-hmm. You were pictured in uh, not really controversial, but just viral tweet. Nickelodeon <laughs> tweeted in 2019. It was uh, their pride tweet. Mm. And it was like you and two animated characters. And one of them was SpongeBob. And I, <laughs> I've i got to apologize because I know people are probably asking you about SpongeBob the entire time rather than congratulating you because there were like a thousand think pieces about SpongeBob sexuality. But I would like to ask you. I feel like that was maybe one of the first times I saw Nickelodeon kind of embrace LGBTQ characters that were on their network. How did you feel after that moment, maybe that tweet or that moment in pride when Nickelodeon kind of highlighted you specifically?
0: Well, I would say I would congratulate them on their intent, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that what they're trying to say is we're very LGBTQ plus positive. Mm-hmm. I don't think they had any intention of saying that SpongeBob was gay. He's a he's, <laughs> right, a, yeah. he's a animated sponge, <laughs> of course, yes, a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about that tweet uh, until I saw it, but I I think yeah, I I guess it's like okay. Um, good for you for intent. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, execution's a little iffy. <laughs> but yeah, you know, right.
1: if, putting real humans next to cartoons is like, all right,
0: well, like, yeah, yeah sure. I wouldn't <laughs> have chosen that. I would not have chosen that. <laughs> you know, but I think that they had a good intent, and I think sometimes mm-hmm. you've got to look at that and go, you know, how have they moved forward, and how are how are they mm-hmm. moving forward? I'm grateful that we can have this moment where we have this kid on our show, live yeah. action, not a cartoon kid, a real kid. Right.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that I had the opportunity to co-write and to direct this. I mean, these are all things that I would say that the theme for my life right now is glass half full. Mm is there a lot to go? Is there a lot more to do? Oh my God, what's going on with trans? Like you, uh, you brought up earlier in the show when you're in your news uh, update, what is going on in Florida? What is going on in so many States? It's like the, the, the misunderstanding of what it is to be a trans child is profound. And that, that people will be willing to mess with these lives without the understanding. And so here I am working you know, with people who want to do good and want to help these kids and are willing to have me do what I'm doing and pushing this forward in a way that is in alignment with with Nickelodeon. You know, we're luckily we're in alignment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I have a very kind of mainstream sensibility. And <laughs> and so it's like, okay, we can, we're on the same page about how we want to execute this. So that's good. So I think we have to kind of look at that and yeah. put that in the, in the glass half full category. Mm. I felt bad for the asexual community, quite frankly, mm-hmm. because, because SpongeBob, SpongeBob was their icon.
1: Oh, that's true. Yes, the creator came out and said he's closer to asexual. Yeah, that's and they so and they, true. they they have they <laughs> actually
0: embraced him as is is that. And I think yeah. I want to say to to that community that you can still do that because I do I I, I I know that there's no way that Nickelodeon was saying that SpongeBob is gay. I know right, that. Yeah, it's just that it's just that he's an animated sponge. They were just basically trying to be supportive of of pride yeah. and that, and it just got misconstrued and
1: Well, it's wild to me that you were right there, and the media was like, "Let's write about." an animated sponge for two weeks and i was like hello here's an historic moment but y'all are focused on this it was like you know know, it was it was was, was
0: one of those times where i just was laughing i was (laughs) i was like oh my god like but i was happy for the deflection in some way too i'm like (laughs) you know look it's two two animated characters focus on them that's fine (laughs) yeah you have the sponge take the heat off you (laughs) who's cora and why is why is this animated sponge gay and whatever it's like um it's one of those yeah. things I'll write about in my memoirs.
1: Oh, for sure. I can't wait to, <laughs> to hear your perspective on that. The 2019 Spongebob controversy. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Hey, for the play, I guess you're not, yeah, it's still a work in progress, right? So there you go. <laughs> uh,
0: exactly, exactly. Yeah, hopefully yeah. I'll do that play sometime soon. But it's it's been because of COVID, it was all, oh, you know, of
1: course, yeah. and
0: now we're going to be in production, but it will be up. I'll let you know when it is, when it's happened.
1: Awesome. Yeah, please do. Yeah.
0: But I do actually I'm going to change the subject real quick because I do want to mention that I'm developing a a similar initiative to the acting challenge, but for writers, for adult writers, for TV writing, to try and get more people of trans experience into the writing rooms in Hollywood. Awesome. So I've had conversations with the Writers Guild Foundation. They're super excited. I'm now um, talking to different studios to see if we can get some partnership there. Um, People are really excited and interested. And I think that it's time that we have, like with the the Trans Youth Acting Challenge, Mm -hmm. we are constantly, myself and, and Danielle Pretzfelder, who's the Nickelodeon casting director that I work very closely with, we are constantly getting calls. From people wanting to cast trans youth in different projects, and we have all these amazing kids, and they've been coming to us, and so we actually just helped them cast something that Joey Soloway is directing. Oh, awesome! Yeah. So it's it's just all these all these great opportunities are, and that's what I want. And I want them people to also go to this database and hire them, hire these kids for non-trans roles. And they they are they're going out for all roles, all roles, not just trans characters, which is what I want because that's my my career. I'm doing yeah, like, right you know, yeah. pretty much like non. <laughs> trans roles. And that's, I love it. It's great. You know what? Why not? So I want the same for writers. Writers should be writers of trans experience should be in all rooms, regardless of yeah. whether there's a trans character there or not. Mm-hmm. Why not? We have experience to bring, we have incredible insight and points of view. And there's gifted writers out there that just haven't had the chance because, you know, like myself, I've had to, I just start my career over like three times when I transitioned it to throw away my old resume and start again. When I moved to LA, I to do the same thing. It's like, you know, it's just, three times i guess that's twice but whatever <laughs> i'll take three well when I'm i moved yeah. from vancouver to toronto and i just started. there over, you go so yeah. it. <laughs> but, but it's it's yeah so we have things that that work against us in terms of opportunity mm-hmm. you know and the time that transition takes and the, you know all of that now it's a bit different in terms of how that can affect you but still there are things that work against people who are of trans experience and, and they need the support and they need a leg up and i think hopefully this will this will also help in terms of the writing the writing room
1: that's so exciting I actually didn't know about that thank you for mentioning it is there a place people can go to learn more about this or is this still kind of in the nascent stages
0: right now we don't have a website yet but the, I have the, the trans youth acting website is still up which is tra- awesome. which is uh, trans great you know but what I'll do is I'm gonna have if people go to my website which is michaeldcohen.com I'll eventually have all the links there cool. and everybody can can you know and, and my, my social media following me on social media I'll have all the information there too
1: cool awesome Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. We are almost done, but before we go today, I wanted to kind of play a segment with you called "Queerly Beloved," where we basically take an old trend—be it a fashion trend, a food, a word people were saying, whatever it is—a trend that was gone too soon—and <laughs> you are going to give us three reasons why it is worth remembering, why it is worth eulogizing in your memory. So, if there are any objects that you really miss and think were gone too soon, now is is maybe your moment to to honor them.
0: Um. Well, I'm thinking about the manual can opener.
1: Oh gosh. <laughs> That's a that could be a controversial
0: one. Yeah, it could be, but maybe should I pick something else? Um, no,
1: I was gonna say I love that one. Give Give mm-hmm. me three reasons why we need manual can openers back. That that's an uphill climb.
0: <laughs> Our wrist strength has gone sadly downhill.
1: Ooh, that's valid. Okay, we're not looking like a nineteen twenties bodybuilders anymore. The wrist no, strength is gone. Yes, we need
0: we need the wrist exercise of the uh, squishing and turning.
1: Yes, right. <laughs> yes,
0: but 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 also because I think you know canned goods are no longer really deemed healthy because of the BPA's them. There we go. So, in that respect, I'm kind of contradicting myself and why we would need a can opener, but I think it's
1: it explains why they've fallen out of favor. It's been unfair.
0: It it it's it's been unfair, but people have been favoring the electric can openers. But but I think that part of it is there is a bottle opener on it and we should be drinking more water. So, it's great great to have a bottle opener on, on available at all times. Fantastic weapon. You you Ooh. mean just far more useful as a weapon than than, than the electric. So
1: I love that. Yeah. If someone's breaking into my home, I'm grabbing for the can opener. Yeah.
0: And you know, I mean, get rid of guns and bring in the can opener. Honestly, sensible
1: policy making. Can we get right. Joe Biden to yeah, okay. I'm so <laughs> glad you asked me about
0: this because this was a bit on my mind and I was hoping we would focus more on this than any anything like my episode or something like that.
1: You no, know? I was honestly hoping you would mention can openers too, truly. That was what yeah. I was trying to steer you toward for most of the episode, but I couldn't get there. So I figured I'd just ask all well, right.
0: You know, I don't want to speak to your, you know, ability as an interviewer, but you know, you did get there eventually. So.
1: So we finally made it, folks. Manual can openers. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, can openers were the subject of a lot of ire. There was at some point in the pandemic where a a well-meaning father made like a 40 tweet thread on like making his daughter learn how to use a manual can opener. And she didn't know how. And he like relished in her struggle. And people were like, just give her an electric one. Like, just let her open it the normal way. Why are you terrorizing your child? But now I view manual can openers in, in a different light. So,
0: yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like Ani DeFranco says, you know, every, (laughs) every tool is a weapon if you hold it right. Um, I think it's, um, why is it that even, even if you, you, even if you've transitioned your guy through and through somehow, Anita Franco and the Indigo (laughs) Girls and Melissa Etheridge are always gonna live in your heart. (laughs) I don't know what that is. Just they're beyond
1: gender, truly. Once you're in, you're in. Yeah. No, it's (laughs)
0: like it's just those, you know, those old, those old women's music festival days. I don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: was just thinking about Melissa Etheridge's. I was doing a close reading of Come Through My Window, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I wouldn't try that these days. I'm not surprising people. I'm gonna text (laughs) before I come over. I'm not waiting in the dark in your room. I don't know what your roommates are thinking. Come on now. Things have changed. things Things have changed changed a lot singer singer
0: songwriters need to need to get with the program (laughs) yeah All right, well, Michael, thank
1: you so much for answering this ridiculous question and also talking to us about so many topics and so much of the great work you're doing. Before I let you go, I would love for our listeners to know now that we are at the end of the episode. Where can they find you online? Where can they learn more about what you're doing and see
0: more of your work? Well, great. Thanks for asking. Um, well, you know, there's my website, michaeldcohen.com. Twitter is at michaeldcsee, and Instagram's Michael D Cohen. Uh, TikTok's Michael D Cohen. Facebook is official. Michael Lee going. <laughs> um, but I'm going to, you know, I'm developing projects. I'm, I'm writing and, and directing more, and, and I'm going to have some, uh, some, some projects that I want to get off the ground, some, some shows that I'm really excited about. and there's some interest in, so I'm, I'm really hoping that, that, that that will be happening in the near future. So if they follow me on uh, my social media, um, check out my website, all that, uh, it'll all be there. And I, and I love hearing from people. So, you know, hit me, hit me up awesome
1: that's fantastic thank you again michael for coming on i'm just like so blown away at like the breadth of work that you have under your belt but also the new ways you found to kind of create space again for these communities who, whose experiences have been kind of um mm. left by the wayside so thanks so much for talking about that today oh,
0: well thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about it and for being being good and, be, and you are an amazing interview i have to say
1: <laughs> thank you even even with my sidestepping Despite of the can taking yeah. <laughs> so
0: long to get to the can opener thing i would say it's been an absolute delight talking to you you, so thank thank
1: you. you so much. Likewise, and hopefully, we can have you again um, when that writing initiative is up. I would love to talk more about that. Oh yeah, that happens, absolutely. Yeah, sure. I
0: will keep you posted for sure.
1: Fantastic. All right, and thank you for listening. If you are still listening to this episode, please make sure you support the Queerty podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review our show right now wherever you get your podcast: Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Spotify, whatever you're doing. And you can get your Queerty fix every day at Queerty.com. Q-u-e-e-r-t-y.com. Queerty has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. Queerty is hosted by me, Gabe Gonzalez. Produced by Andrew McGuire. Engineered and edited by Shireen Lani yunez Music by Gabe Lopez. Executive produced by Joe Silio, Brett Boehm, Alex Ramsey, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Dan Tracer, and Melissa D. Mons.
0: Forever! <coughs> Dog!